have this argument that the office is relevant to most, uh, most life situations, so there you go. If we haven't met, my name's Hannah, and I've been on staff here at Narrate for four years. It'll be four years in September. I get to lead our hospitality team on Sunday mornings, and then during the rest of the week, I get to plan our monthly scattering events, and then like once or twice a year, usually when Adam's at a baseball tournament, I get to, <laughs> I get to give the message. So I'm really excited for the conversation that we're going to be diving into this morning. I had several months to prepare for this, and I really struggled with what to talk about this morning. So I don't know about you, but I found myself these past six or seven months involved in so many conversations about uh, where our nation's at and government and politics and our local community and all sorts of big issues like that, more than I ever thought I would be. And maybe it's because I'm getting older. I'm turning 30 this year. Um, maybe it's because I, I care more now, or maybe it's because that's all we're talking about now. It's kind of all anyone talks about. So I thought, okay, what do I need to learn? What do I need to be reminded of, and what can I work on? which happened to be a lot, but we've narrowed it down to a goal this morning. So our goal for this morning is this. We're going to consider power, privilege, and difference. How do our differences, how do our backgrounds, how do our identities influence our interactions with others and our experiences with the world? So that's our goal for this morning. Now, in my undergrad years, I studied psychology and sociology, and now I'm currently taking classes at Portland Seminary. And so if it kind of feels like a sociology 101 class this morning, you've been warned. <laughs> what do you think of when I say the word power? I think of, because of a few recent events, oh, not yet, Anna, sorry. I'm going to tell a story. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that is confusing, though. So I'm going to, I'm going to share a story. I think of power. For some reason, I think about cars. So don't mistake me for a car person. Uh, you can talk to Jonah if you'd like to talk about cars. Uh, but I think about cars. And it's because of this story. And this story led me on a long train of thought and processing to today. So cars. So six years ago, I bought a Ford Escape, and it had a little four-cylinder engine, and it was like my first big adult purchase. And I love that car, because I bought it, I took care of it, and I, it got me everywhere I needed to go for the most part. Well, back in February, Scott, I got permission to share the story, Scott, took my car on a road trip to Idaho that weekend to help some friends move in to a new house. And on his way back, I got a call, and he said, I'm in Butte. I'm having some massive car issues, so keep your phone on in case you need to come pick me up in case this car doesn't make it back. And I thought, sure, the one weekend he takes my car, he breaks it. Well, better, better him than me, because I'd probably be crying on the side of the highway. So I thought, okay, I'll have my phone on. So a few hours later, like hours from Butte to home, <laughs> A few hours later, he showed up, and sure enough, the car was in pretty rough shape, and the next day, we drove it to the shop, and the mechanic said, yeah, it's your engine, and it's going to be like thousands of dollars to get this fixed. 
So we thought, we're not prepared to spend all this money on a car that's very closely pushing 200,000 miles. So we drove it back, and we had these long conversations about what do we do? Do we get a new car? Do we put the money into this car? So long story short, we got a, a used Highlander which is now my car, and it's a bit bigger, it's got a bigger engine, and all of a sudden, I have no problem going up hills, I can go 85 the whole way, I pass semis with so much confidence now, it's amazing, I love the power in this car. I don't know what I would do if I got a more powerful car, so we're just going to keep it at the Highlander and we're good there. So meanwhile, Scott's like trying to figure out, do we fix this car? He's YouTubing and Googling everything. And so he actually gets it fixed for less than what we thought. And so we're thinking, okay, great. We're going to drive this car all over, like on our little weekend road trips uh, this summer. And we're going to put all the miles on this car. So Memorial Day weekend, we're driving up to Big Sandy to visit family. And I'm driving. And this is the first time I'm driving this car since I got my, my newer car. So we're driving, we're headed north on I-15 out of town. And if you've driven that way towards Great Falls, you know there's this long, like, slow uphill climb. And our car's broken down on that hill before, but I don't care. I've forgotten that I've been driving a more powerful car, and so I'm trying to go like 90 up this hill, and the RPMs are going crazy, and so I start swearing, and Scott's like, what is wrong? What is happening? And I just yell, you know, I don't have the power I need to get up this hill. So I had to slow all the way down to 55, and now semis are passing me, and I was annoyed. I was so mad, I, for whatever reason, I was really mad. <laughs> I was so mad I did not have the power I wanted to go my speed up this hill. So believe it or not, I've got a few hours more to drive, and I start thinking about power. And what is it about power? And it gets me thinking about privilege, because I'm a sociology major, so I start thinking about privilege, and I start thinking about difference and how we use power. And here we are today. We're going to talk about power, privilege, and difference. So I want to be really precise in my language this morning, just so we're all on the same page. And I want to define a couple terms. So power. Power is defined as the ability to do or act, to bring about control or influence an outcome. That's power. And then very closely related to power is this idea of privilege. So privilege exists when one group has something of value that is denied to others simply because of the social category they belong to rather than anything they have done or failed to do. So a social category is anything from race to gender to ethnicity and sexual orientation, age, hair color, marital status, those sorts of things. That's a social category. So next, so we've defined power, we've defined privilege, and so where I really want to hang out on this morning is this idea of intersectionality. So this is kind of a big word in like the sociological field, and if you've not read sociological research papers like I do, you're doing fine, but you've probably not heard about this word intersectionality. So intersectionality is a framework for understanding how various social categories intersect or overlap to create systems of privilege or disadvantage for a given individual. 
So it's this idea that we all live our lives as occupants of various social statuses that locate us in relation to society. So for example, I don't experience the world solely through the lens of being a woman. And I don't solely experience the world through the lens of being white. Or I don't solely experience the world through the lens of living in a small town in Montana. And I don't solely experience the world through being 29 years old. I experience the world through a combination of all of those social categories that intersect and overlap to create my specific interactions and my specific relation to the world. So we can really begin to look at the way people of different backgrounds encounter the world and how the world encounters them. So if that sounds incredibly complex and complicated, you're right. Like people get PhDs in this kind of stuff. So this is a very like overview of this idea of intersectionality and this idea that our different social categories all intersect and overlap to create our unique identities and backgrounds and experiences. So last fall, like I said, I'm taking some online classes through Portland Seminary, and last fall, I got to take this class called Transforming Systems and Cultures, and this is like right up my alley. I started reading the books before the class started, that's how nerdy I am. <laughs> but anyway, Transforming Systems and Cultures, and so before we could talk about transforming anything, transforming any sort of culture, system, or institution, we had to start with ourselves. We had to understand where we were coming from in relation to our society and what we were bringing to the conversations. A trouble we can't talk about is a trouble we can't do anything about. That's what our professor told us, and it was in this book we read by Alan Johnson, who's a sociologist. And so his argument was we need to understand where we're coming from to be able to talk about all sorts of big issues. So in our book, we came across something, this is in the very first chapter, called a diversity wheel. And our assignment was to look at this diversity wheel and write a paragraph about our, all of our social categories, where we found ourselves. So to break this down a little bit, at the center of the wheel, there are things like age, race, uh, ethnicity, physical abilities or qualities. And these social categories, kind of how we think of to make up the core of our identity. And then the outer wheel, um, are things like your geographic location or your socioeconomic status, your age, your job, your military experience, your religious beliefs, things like that are kind of on the outside of the wheel. So I thought, I know me. I know where I fit into all of these. This is the easiest assignment ever. I wrote my paragraph in 10 minutes. Boom, submit, I'm done. Well, part two of the assignment was then to go into our other classmates' paragraphs and read and comment and begin to understand where they were coming from. And this is where things got really interesting. So it's an online class, and so there are people from all over the U.S. and even some from all over the world, too, in these classes. And so what I began to notice was there were several women who had very similar social categories to me. So our diversity wheels looked really similar. And it's a seminary class, so we all have some kind of relation or familiarity with church and church culture. 
But all of these women had very similar diversity wheels to me, except for one context. And so we could add, so for this conversation, we're going to add a little piece of the diversity wheel that is local church context. So our diversity wheels are the same, except for our local church context. So the conversations I was having with some of the other women in my class were fascinating because in their local church context, women are denied leadership roles, they're not allowed to volunteer in certain positions, or depending on your denomination, um, they weren't allowed to sit on certain committees or maybe vote on certain issues, which is really surprising to me because if you know Neri, obviously we respect women in leadership and encourage that. Obviously, I'm speaking this morning, so (laughs) we obviously encourage women in leadership. And so it was really interesting to me, I began to notice how just shifting one or two of these sections of the diversity wheel can really create dramatic differences in our life experiences. Just like these conversations I was having with my classmates, just shifting that local church context created an entirely different different experience for being a woman in ministry. Now there's a couple critiques I think I should bring up on this idea of intersectionality um, that is in some of the research I was going through. And the first critique is it's uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable to think about the idea that I could be privileged in a society just because of who I am or how I identify. We don't like to think about that. It's also really uncomfortable to think about the idea that I may be disadvantaged simply because of who I am or how I identify. It's uncomfortable to think about and it's really uncomfortable to talk about. But a trouble we can't talk about is something we can't do anything about. And so I found that leaning into these uncomfortable moments or these uncomfortable conversations um, have really opened up uh, some dialogue on certain issues. So it's uncomfortable, not a good argument. Critique number two. This idea of intersectionality embraces social divisions rather than healing them. And sure, that's a decent argument, but I would argue the problem isn't difference. I'm really glad that I live in a world that's not all like me, because that would be pretty boring. I'm glad people are different. Again, Alan Johnson said it best, so I'm going to read a quote. His, His argument for this critique is this. The trouble is produced by a world organized in ways that encourage people to use difference in order to elevate or oppress, include or exclude, accept or reject, reward or punish, value or devalue, leave alone or harass. There's a really beautiful example of this idea of intersectionality and power in the text, and we're going to go there now. So it's in John 4. You may know this story as the woman at the well or Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman. And just to set the context really quickly, Jesus and his disciples are traveling. They're going to Galilee and... Oh, sorry. (laughs) Baby. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean to call you out. You're fine. You're totally fine. (laughs) 
So we are, Jesus is traveling from, to Galilee, and they have to go through the land of Samaria. And it's midday, it's hot, it's noon. Jesus sits down by a well to rest, and his disciples go out into the village to get some food. And this is where we enter the scene. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. If you're familiar with this story, you know there's a lot in here that could be an entirely other message, but this morning I just want to focus on the interaction between the woman and Jesus. So they go on to have a conversation, they talk some more about living water, Jesus kind of tells her things about her life and things that she's done, and the woman responds, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. So the disciples return. They wonder why Jesus is talking to this woman. The woman gets really excited. She leaves. She goes back to the village, and she tells all her Samaritan former villagers and buddies that, hey, I think I met this guy. You have to come check it out. He told me everything I did. Like, could he be the Messiah? So the Samaritans come, and they want to meet Jesus, too. And we continue on. It says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know this man really is the Savior of the world. So why is this interaction so significant? I think it's easy to, through our cultural lens, to read this and kind of fly over this interaction that just happened. But what do we know about ancient Israel that makes this interaction so significant? So ancient Israel is a very patriarchal society. Men hold all the power, right? The ability to control an outcome. They hold all of the power, economic, social, relational, legal. And women are under the authority or power of men their entire lives. So when they are children, they're under the authority of their father. When they're married, they're under the authority of their husbands. And if their husbands die first, they're under the authority of their sons. And so to be a woman not attached to a man in ancient Israel was a really dangerous and precarious place for, to be a woman. And second, Samaritans are this looked-down-upon people group. They're considered impure, and they're not supposed to associate with Jews. So now, let's look at this interaction. Now that we know a little bit about ancient Israel, I want to look at this interaction strictly through a sociological or cultural lens. So if we do a little diversity wheel, we have a Samaritan woman talking to a Jewish man. So who brings the power in this interaction, or who holds the privilege within this interaction? Be the Jewish man. And it's funny because they both know this. Jesus knows the differences. And the woman even comments, like, 
hey, you're, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman, this is, not, this is not a normal thing. But I love that Jesus, it's such a beautiful example of Jesus using privilege and power in this interaction to accept this woman, to include her, to embrace her. He asks her for something, he treats her as an equal, he asks for, for that drink of water. And what I especially love is he includes her in this story. Like the Samaritans, so the disciples had gone into this village earlier. He could have used them to introduce the disciples to, or the Samaritans to him. Jesus could have gone into this village himself, but he allows like this woman to be included and allows her testimony to bring other Samaritans to him. I just love it. I think it's this beautiful interaction. I love how Jesus is constantly disregarding established customs in favor of contact with all people. There's so many examples in the gospel. We think of the woman caught in adultery or the hemorrhaging woman or children. He elevates the status of children and women and sick individuals. So I just thought this was a really, really cool example of interaction and using kind of power to include So how do you think about power? How do you think about difference? And now that we're familiar with intersectionality, we can add that dimension to our thinking as well. Like, how do you think about it? I'd encourage you to maybe look up a diversity wheel. If you Google it, all sorts of them come up, and there are some that get, like, really large. They have, like, three or four layers to them. Just look it up and start to identify maybe where you are in relation to these different social categories. For me, um, as I kind of got into the assignment in class, it was really challenging. As I started to look at it, I realized I had so many interactions where I didn't understand maybe the privilege that I was coming into the interaction with, or I didn't understand what the other person was bringing. And it gets really kind of embarrassing when you start to think about it. So one of those examples, I was in Kenya gosh, six years ago now, and I was teaching at a vocational school, and so I would have been 23, and the students were like 19 and 20, so it was really more of a peer-to-peer relationship than a teacher-student relationship, but one afternoon, I was trying to explain to them uh, the value of money, so we were having a conversation about, like, yes, my U.S. dollar here is worth more than your Kenyan shilling, So when I buy that soda for 15 cents in Kenya, that's cheap to me, but in two weeks I have to go home and that same soda is going to be $2. And so a lot of them had never thought about this before and it was, you know, we were kind of having this conversation and so I gave another example and I said, for example, when I go home, I have to have money to put gas in my car, to register it, uh, to pay for insurance, that sort of thing. And they all just kind of stared at me, and they kind of looked at each other. And one student finally said, you have a car? And that sentence just really punched me in the gut because I realized I completely failed. I totally failed to understand the context where I was coming from in eastern Montana, where I was born and raised, Everyone has a car. Everyone has multiple cars. Where they were coming from, where my students were coming from, was very poor slum communities. 
or very rural areas where having a car is a luxury that a lot of them can't even imagine. And now they live in Nairobi. It's a giant city. There are buses and public transportation everywhere. So that comment totally shut down the conversation. Um, and it was really embarrassing. It sucked. It felt really uncomfortable. But I learned a lot from that interaction, and this morning I don't want to criticize or shame anyone. Please don't hear that. I just want to go back to our goal. You know, how do our differences, how do these experiences we've had, how do our backgrounds and identities influence and control, influence and our interactions with others, and how do they influence our experiences of the world? As I was preparing uh, this past week, the idea of grace just kept coming up over and over as I was preparing. And I think we're in a crazy time in history, and I think there's a lot of opportunity we have for just a little more understanding and maybe a little more grace for those around us and those that we find ourselves interacting with. So I'm going to pray, and the band's going to lead us in one more song as we close out the morning. Thanks, God, God, that you've made us all different. Thank you that somehow, even though we're all different, we're all made in your image. I pray that as we go about the week, we can begin to understand just maybe what we bring to interactions and what others bring with them thinks that we can meet and have these conversations, and even though it might get uncomfortable or challenging, that you are with us, and you show us ways that we can really grow, grow in understanding and love for others. Thanks, God. We love you. Amen. If you would like to learn more about Narrate Church, find us at narratechurch.org or look us up on Facebook and Instagram.